Hello and welcome to the business community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week, it's been a reminder that I'm 50. Because this date and this event is inextricably linked with roughly when I was born. And that's the 50th anniversary of decimalisation, Heather. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm older than you, but I hadn't started spending money by that point, I don't think. So I don't really (laughs) remember old money. But I remember us having old money in the house. Big pennies, really big pennies. I'm sure that my granddad will have had some still in his money stash that he kept in various places around the house. I'm, I imagine that took years for him to work his way through, actually. <laughs> I think if you went to look at the house now, you'd probably still find some stashed away somewhere. But this week, we're going to look at um, a topical issue, which we've touched on several times before in the show. And that's about Well, the question is, Heather, I'm going to pose you this question. And this is one that I saw in uh, strategybusiness.com. The question that was posed in January this year is, will the C-suite empty out in 2021? So, will it? What do you think? Well, when you just hear that question, it's not enough to form an opinion as to... Well, firstly, the term C-suite... Well, I don't know if I've been living under a stone, but it sort of came out about 18 months ago. And it was like, what's that? It does feel like it. I feel like I I thought when I first heard it that I hadn't heard about it because I'd never been invited to the (laughs) C-suite. Yeah, like some elite club on top of a a hotel somewhere. I'm sure it is, yeah. But of course, what they're talking about is the the CEO, the chief exec, the COO, those those high-ranking officials yeah, within a secret club I've not been part of yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're only 50 you know yeah exactly there's time yet Heather there's there time one. but I think this sort of links in with a lot of the stuff we've been talking about um working from home and um offices falling empty over this time but this particular article that we're referring to was looking very much at the top talent for some bigger organizations yeah, and and their desire to continue with the sort of hybrid work from home, um, at least some of the time, uh, way of working, which in in the article, um, and the guy who wrote the article is called Adam Bryant. Give him a name check. There we Adam go, Bryant. Adam Bryant, yeah. and he um, he's managing director of American Co. Uh, but he basically what he's suggesting is that these executives realize that they can work from anywhere therefore why would they be coming into the office they don't need to live in a big city they can live there in their rural idyll if they want to and just commute in a couple of times a week or whatever is needed and the fact that and this is something we've talked about a lot is that if they can't have that existence within their organization then they might go and work somewhere where they can yeah, I think in the time where companies are potentially chasing the top talent, then they're calling the shots, aren't they? But it's interesting, isn't it? Because there was a time, and clearly it's pre-COVID, when it was um, it was a test of, of whether you were good enough, you know, or test of your stamina. Could you travel as much as you would needed to for this job? Could you work all hours? Could you miss family dues and, you know, 
sleep in the office. It, it was sort of um, a badge of honour in some ways, in, in many roles. And uh, do you think that that culture has changed quite a bit? Well, I think it's about it is about that whole, as you say, it was a measure of your commitment to the role. You know, if it wasn't painful in some way, shape or form, then you didn't warrant the position on the salary. You know, you're almost paid for the inconvenience of it all. But I think now we've learned quite a bit, certainly during COVID, that actually it's about people's outputs rather than the whole presenteeism and and I think that you can work just as effectively at home. We've talked about this a lot. And in fact, there's a quote within the article that says, um, basically, these people are saying, I'm an adult. I know when travel's needed. I know when I need to meet somebody face to face. I can build relationships. You don't have to tell me how to do that. So I don't always have to be there in person to, to be effective. Uh, sometimes it's important, yes, but not always. Yeah. And it's that sort of hybrid, I guess. It's an interesting line from the article that said the world had a trial run in 2020 with remote work. That's an interesting way to look at COVID, isn't it? A trial run for remote work. I like it. Yeah, I think I might have preferred if we'd, if we'd planned the trial run rather than it just be imposed on us all. But but then a would lot we of have ever done it? Yeah, a lot of companies wouldn't have made the move, would they? No. Because no. it's potentially what the people in power were more comfortable with it, it was what they were used to as well but actually most companies are surprised with how well it's gone so mm. and I also think it's a really important point here it, it's the c-suite is dominated by men and I think yep. this move towards remote working will actually open up the c-suite to women working as well or potentially people with childcare responsibilities. So it's not just women, some men will have those as well. So I, th I do think it opens up the talent pool available to the companies if they th think in this way. Plus, we know that retention and recruitment is really difficult at the moment. It's not going to get much better for top talent. So I think companies probably, it's been good that they've had this trial run, I think, so that they, they can get up to speed and, and get their packages, their offers to the top talent ready. Yeah, yeah, I agree totally. The one thing that did catch my eye is uh, he mentions um, that in in New York City subway, if you want to top up your Metro card, which is like your Oyster card, a screen pops up and it says, what do you want to add? Do you want to add value or do you want to add time? Yeah. So basically, do you, want to, do you want to load money onto this card or do you want to spend time? Or do you want to buy the right to time on the metro? Yeah, and I think that's that. That really does just sum it up. I just thought it was genius that he quoted that because yeah. it's, you know, is it how much time somebody is spending at work, or is it how much value they're bringing? And he finishes off the article um, referring back to that um, difference between adding value and adding time and says the high performing executives who are confident in their ability to add time. Now, again, I think that's a shift in culture, isn't it? There might be plenty of top executives who are confident in their ability to add time, but not value. Mm. It's yeah. easier to add time. You just hang around longer, don't you? But actually adding value in the, in the time that you've got, that's something that you really need to build your confidence with. Yeah, and, and, and I suppose that, you know, that is the whole thing, isn't it? If you know, if you actually know that you're doing your best and you bring something to the party, 
then it's easier, not in an arrogant way, but just in a look, I am, you know, my contribution is valuable here. It's easier to argue the toss. But businesses also need to let people know that they add value. Yeah. It's not just it's not enough just for for the person to think it. The business needs to be clear of where it is and what it is. Yeah. So what exactly does this value look like? Mm. How will you know when you are adding value? It's quite key, isn't it? So yeah. some clarity yeah. about strategy and the direction and the outputs that are expected. Yeah. The article, you know, as I say, the title, you think, oh, what does this mean? You know, are they, they basically, to start with, I thought, oh, is that a whole layer of management that's just going to get stripped out? You know, it's going to, it's, it's all going to filter down, but it's not that at all. It is that whole world, the physical presence of those people be reduced in 2021. And I guess we're going to be finding out fairly soon if, as and when uh, we get released out of lockdown. Yeah, I suppose there was a point during this pandemic that I wondered if everything would just spring back to how it was. But I feel like it's gone past the point of no return. Mm. Yeah, it's, I think so. I think so. I th- and, I, and I was talking to somebody today and we were thinking about if things are eased, um, a charity that I'm involved with, you know, will we will we get people back into the building? What will we do? And it's uh, will we open the building to the public? And it's like we need to get the staff in first and see how that feels. Yeah. Before we can even think about bringing the wider public into the building, because we just don't know how it's going to feel. It's going to feel odd in the same way that it felt odd going and working from home. Yeah. It's a transition, isn't it? Anyway, talking of odd, something that isn't odd is the fact that I've got two books by my side here. Although two. I suppose it's a bit odd, yes, because I did say we were only going to review one. But yeah. I've, read, I've read two books this week, so I, I did want to give a mention to the other one. Okay. Well, Sorry, I... Heather. I hope that I've got one of the books that you were oh, reviewing. Yeah. Yes, you've got a um, hard copy. So that this would is be uh, a worry. The Little Book of Big Management Theories and How to Use Them by James McGrath and Bob Bates. And I'm glad you've got a hard copy, Heather. Well, I, I actually, I had a look. I was going to try and get away without buying a copy. Do you know what? We I don't know why we buy these copies. We should get review copies. If anybody's written a book and they want to send us a review copy, send it in. We'll read it and we'll review it with pleasure. Uh, you can even have it back after the event if needs be. But I did a bit of research. I thought I won't buy it. I'll see if I can find a PDF version or, you know, content on the internet. And then as I started to research it, I thought, this is a book I should own. Given what I do for a living, I should own this book. So That's I do what now. I felt. That's why I bought it in the first place. So I didn't buy it uh, specifically to review. I bought it because I felt like it was a book I should own. Mm. That's a very good mm. way to phrase it, mm. Heather, yeah. Mm. Um, and because I'm, I'm involved in strategy and training about strategy, then this has got um, – yeah, it's not all about strategy, actually, but it's it's all about management theories, some of which I'm very, very familiar with, some of which I'd forgotten about, and others were completely new to me. And I really like it because it's not a huge book. You would imagine with 101 management theories that it would be a, an enormous Bible-sized book, <laughs> like a family Bible, you'd imagine, wouldn't you? But there's only two sides, and the, what size is it? About A5, isn't it, the book? 
Yeah. So there's yeah. sort of two pages for each theory uh, laid out um, on facing pages. So um, you've got the left-hand side and the right-hand side, and that's the max. So whoever um, has come up with the content for this has had to work really hard to fit it into those two pages in some cases. So some management theories fit quite easily onto two pages, probably even stretching it to two pages is difficult. But quite a few of them are um, complicated theories, aren't they? And I think they're nicely summarised in this book. Well, he, they say in the introduction, each theory is summarised and advice given on how to apply it in practice in a series of two-page spreads. This means that it will only take you five minutes to read, understand and be ready to use a theory. Not tomorrow or next week, but now, today. And I mean, that's I love it. And that's why I love it, because you can just go, OK, what's this about? OK, and it explains what it is, how to use it and questions to ask yourself in the using and implementation of it. Yeah. It's, I love it. It's great. It's in some nice sections. So they're, they're grouped together. I think there's 12 sections, aren't there? So how to manage people, how to lead people, how to motivate your staff, the manager as coach, how to build and manage teams, how to analyse organisational culture, how to manage change, strategic planning, decision making, how to manage quality how to exercise authority, power and influence. Mm. And this this section I like the best. The best of the rest, a miscellany of great ideas for managers. I like that one. Yeah. And some of the some of the um the models that he's that they mention are ones that we've talked about on the show before. Yeah. Uh, which I mean there are some I'd never heard of. I don't know about you. There was a couple I thought, crikey, I have no idea what that's about. But, well, I've not heard of McCoby's gamesman theory, I don't think. Just right. looking at that now, theory 41. Yeah, well, that's the thing. When I first started looking at the book, I did get a little bit confused. I don't know if it was me or if it was the index, but basically because there are 101 principles, then they've numbered them 1 to 101. But so, But I would look and go, oh, page four and I looked at page four and it was like no that's not on page four so the page numbers are at the other end of the line so there was a bit of a moment when I was like I don't understand I don't understand but I think it was just Heather having a bit of a moment yeah I, there was one point as I was uh, reading this uh, ready for um, this recording and I did think oh we should have just kept this book quiet and we could have just talked about a theory a week here and sounded like we really know what we're talking about <laughs> well, I did have a similar thought and wondered whether we should, uh, from time to time, dip into this. Uh, this it's like, it's like a selection box, and yeah. and I th I think the way that they've arranged it is it helps you to think what what problem am I trying to solve? You know, am I managing change? As you say, am I looking at culture? What am I working on? Okay, and then here are some ways to to think. Um, questions to ask your staff, uh, ways of understanding your staff, and then things that you can actually implement. And most of the pages have got a nice diagram with them, which is good. Yes. yes. So, so um, the Kaizen 5S housekeeping theory, um, there's a picture of a house. Very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good diagrams. Uh, it's quite heavy. You know, it is quite a dense book. It, it does cover... 
a lot of ground. I like it. I really like it. Because and I think it's because it's not overwhelming. You could literally sit and read one and then think, okay, where would that work within a business? You know what? It's just sprung into mind. It it could make a very good bathroom book. Yeah, not in everybody's bathroom. I mean, you <laughs> or I, it, it, if if one read in the bathroom, but I think it's more of a by the bed at night. Oh, let's just have a little little read, and then you hope that you remember it the next morning. <laughs> Having well, processed it. Well, it's funny you should say that because the other book that I've read this week is called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And indeed, you would be consolidating your learning by having a little sleep afterwards. That I've got that book by my bed, actually. Oh, have you? <laughs> I love it. I really, really love it. It's really interesting following on from last week's 5am club. Yep. And reading this where you're thinking, I was fine waking up at 5am, but having read this, I'm thinking, how does that fit in with my circadian rhythms? Am I getting my full eight hours sleep? Is waking up at five o'clock going to interrupt my REM sleep? It's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? How far through it have you got, Heather? I have No, I haven't. That's the thing. It is oh. by my bed in my pile of books that I have yet to read uh, because... As my husband would say, nobody loves being asleep and in bed more than me. So I was attracted to it because of the title. Well, I think you'll find what it does is it justifies your uh, need and your desire to be in bed sleeping, Heather. It really Brilliant. does. That's what I was hoping for. And my teenage daughter was made up by the fact that it, it gives validity to the idea that teenagers need more sleep. It's not just that. Teenagers sleep um, pattern moves to later than adults so that their body won't go to sleep earlier it their body naturally wants to go to sleep later and wake up later wow and and does he expand on why that is or have you not got absolutely. to that absolutely what's really good about this book is he provides all of the academic material to back up what he's saying but it's not heavy in academic language it's a really, really well written book. Um, and, and it's just, it's had me absorbed. Um, like I say, try not to read it late at night because that's not going to be good for you. But he's, he goes about, um, talks about what sleep is and why you should sleep, how and why we dream, and then looking at how society is affected by lack of sleep and what it actually means to um, society as well as to individuals. So really, really good. But yeah, he's he's a true academic, but knows how to write for the layperson as well. Well, there, I don't know about you, but I'm a lot of people that I'm talking to at the moment are having trouble sleeping. It's part it's partly to do with the situation that we're in. They're either having trouble sleeping or they're having trouble waking up. You know, so some something's going on. So um, yeah. and that's impacting on business. And life in general. So uh, you probably should dip into it. Yeah, I think it's re really worth having a read of. It's called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And the subtitle is The New Science of Sleep and Dreams. Absolutely fascinating. So highly recommended by me. Excellent. So moving on to the person that we're profiling this week. Uh, and for some when we were talking about it last week, there's, I don't know, I still don't know what it is, but there is a reason why this guy's name 
is known to me, but I haven't quite managed to find out why. His name is Henry Engelhart, and he is the guy who founded Admiral Car Insurance. And as I say, there's just something, you know, when there's something in the back of your mind and you think, um, I thought we'd reviewed him, uh, profiled him before, yeah. we hadn't. He's an interesting character. He's an American businessman. He founded and was the chief executive of Admiral Group. And Admiral Group is based in South Wales in Cardiff. Is it Cardiff, I think? And in in doing my research, I came across his father's obituary. I don't know how, but his father owned a successful meatpacking operation in Chicago. And he sounded like a bit of a bit of a tough nut, to be honest. He was I never very, really very knew what, what meatpacking is. Does it only exist in America? <laughs> So what, what's meat packing? Packing meat where? Into boxes? Into bags? Well, I would imagine it's packing it into those polystyrene trays that you buy meat in. I don't That's, know. It must be. Meat and packing. What else could it be? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, a silly question. I could just go and Google it. What's meat packing? I'm not quite sure what I'm going to find <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I interrupted your. Anyway, no, no, no. So it was, it was just you know, like you go down these rabbit holes. So it was just like, ah, okay. It, so he's obviously he obviously knew about business. He was involved with Churchill Insurance. Yes, plus um, the founding team apparently. Yeah, yeah. And then in 1993, as I said, launched Admiral, and then led a management buyout, and he's worth quite a lot of money. Mm, One billion what pounds, you, I believe. 1.7 billion. 1.7 billion. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's weird. This um it's my experience of him this week has been like he's been everywhere. You know, it's a bit like when you decide to buy a new car and suddenly you see the car that you're gonna buy everywhere and you've never seen it much before. So yeah. um, my perception of him this week has just been wow. Okay, so there was articles in Wales Online. Um, there's an article in Inside Media about how he's backing a low alcohol beer company, the Drop Bear Beer Company, which we have mentioned on the show before. Yeah. And yeah. I have purchased some of their beers. He's Good backing on. them in an investment. Um, and then he was in their Business Live article on the 12th of Feb. West Wales clean tech firm with huge global expansion plans. Don't they don't mention his name in the in the beginning of the article, but if you read further down, he's one of the investors in this company called Hydro Industries. Okay, okay just so just in the space of the week, I've seen all these references to him. There the is a name busy. for that when that happens, but but I can never remember what it is. But we'll have to Google that later as yeah. well then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you see also then that he um, he and his wife, well, they're one of the richest couples in Wales. I think that's... Um, 1.7 billion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then they set up uh, an organisation called the Moon Dance. Moon Dance? Uh, yeah, it's a charity. I'm trying oh, yeah, to find it. yeah, the Moon Dance Foundation to support causes in Wales, education, healthcare, poverty and the arts. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I got and, that from um, the Forbes website, by the way. Right. Yeah. So so they've been um they've just pledged another ten million pounds to good causes. 
uh, in Wales. Uh, and in total, since they launched the um, foundation, they've given £76 million to good causes, which is quite a chunk of money, mm. quite a chunk of money. One of the articles I found uh, also suggests that he might be the world's best boss as well. Did you see that article? Well, I didn't, but I do know that back in the day when I worked for the best companies to work for list, Admiral featured highly uh-huh. um, for a number of years. But uh, go on, tell me, tell me more. So apparently his, um, he runs a business with the ethos of fun and teamwork has been really impo- important. Let me just scroll down a little bit. He's got enthusiasm and zest for life. And quickly whiz- whizzing through this, he's, anyways, there's a few pictures of him, smiley face, likes to play golf on the artificial putting green in his back garden. Um, As you do. <laughs> did, you, did you come across the video on uh, for his last day of work? No, I've not seen Admiral. that. No. He um it's just a little video and basically he turns up at the underground garage and there are three members of staff meeting him and they've got white t-shirts on with his face on them. <laughs> um and then as they come out of the garage and into the corridor there are staff lined either side wearing the same t-shirts and clapping. He goes into the lift and there are people in the lift clapping and basically the video goes on for about three and a half minutes and throughout all of that he is walking into his in into his business and all of the staff are wearing these t-shirts oh, brilliant. and applauding him. In this article on Wales Online as well, it, it links back to our original topic at the beginning of the show, where he basically says that he, he told his team, he was very clear with his team, that he would not be working every hour under the sun. He said that he would manage to come to work after breakfast with his family and get home in time for dinner most mornings and evenings. It means he had to delegate. And he says, as well as delegating to ease his burden, it helps um, the people he delegates to to step up and feel valued. Yeah, I mean, he, he talks. So obviously he he has stood down uh, and his um, his colleague, uh, his CEO colleague is standing down and they're handing over the role to a lady. Um, so she will be one of just two female chair, just one of just two companies in the FTSE 100 who have both a female chair and a female CEO. But one of the things you talked about that feeds into the whole C-suite conversation we were having before, he said that they've retired because when they set up Admiral in the 1990s, they were in their thirties, and now they're in. You know, they're in. They're sort of fifty to sixty, and most insurance companies are being run by people in their fifties or sixties, and they recognise that they used to be in their thirties. So it's about encouraging the the younger generation, and of course, thinking about home working. Those are going to be the people who are most needing to work from home because they will have their kids will be younger than people who are in their 50s and 60s when kids have fled the fled the nest so it all fits in that whole it's just a changing shape of that top of business isn't it really yeah i think so and he's led the way with admiral i I wasn't really aware up until we did this research just um, what a good company it uh, it's got a reputation for being a good company to work for apparently mm. it's uh, made the list of the sunday times best companies to work for 
every year since it began in 2001. Right. So that, that's, that's no mean feat, is it? No, no. The um, Going back to these T-shirts that they were wearing that had got his yeah. face on the front, on the back of the T-shirt, um, they'd got a list of his 22 favourite sayings, Henryisms, <laughs> as they call them. Henryisms, uh, I love that. Henryisms, yeah. Um, and, you know, some of them are, you know, what you would expect. Um, communication, communication, communication. You can almost never over-communicate. Uh, always take lunch. Um, have fun, satisfy customers, make money. There's loads of them, 22 of them, in fact. Um, but the one that I really, really resonated with me was if we didn't have any customers, how many people would we employ? Because sometimes, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you just go, these blooming customers, if everything had been so much easier if they stopped <laughs> complaining or stop this or stop yeah. that or stop the other or paid on time or whatever. And I just thought, yeah, actually, we need to remind ourselves uh, it's it's the customers that keep us in a job. So while we've been talking, Heather, you, you don't recall where you know his name from. You've not sort of met him at a networking event or interviewed him or had dinner with him or something no I don't think so I mean it may be something to do with the Sunday Times best companies list that's that's about the only thing that I can connect with but I I knew his name and I knew that he had some sort of foundation and I don't know why I knew that but um, he appears to be a good egg they appear to be doing great work and crikey his track record you know in fact Admiral were one of the one of the first insurance companies to launch price comparison in the UK, but they don't appear on price comparison websites. So they, they, they hold their own. I know why you knew about him because you are all knowing. <laughs> you think that's what it is? <laughs> that must be it, Heather. Must be it. It'd only be that. I don't think I've stalked him. I don't think so. <laughs> he's uh, he's a lucky man then. <laughs> <laughs> he will be really he'll sleep better tonight knowing that i i'm not stalking him that's all we've got time for this week on the business community if you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years at our website which is thebusiness.community we do hope you'll join us again next week for more news views and reviews from the world of business <laughs> <laughs>